Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Today is Wednesday, November 15th, 2017. Do you know what that means? What does it mean? We've been making this podcast for a whole year. A whole goddamn year. Actually, it, it's actually been a little bit more than a year, but yes, a whole year. Who's counting? We are. We, we have to count. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it's been, it does not seem like a year. Uh, I can tell you that. But yeah, a year. It's been a good year. I feel like we've accomplished a lot. I mean, it's been a good year for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. It's been a good year in, in, in this area. In other ways, eh, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, hasn't been a great year. It's actually been a, a pretty shitty year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely in the bottom three. Bottom three years of all time. <laughs> What's that behind? Let's just try and figure out what the other two years are. Well, I mean, I'm sure there was a year where like the Black Plague was real bad. Yeah, like like, yeah. but not for everybody. Like 1133, <laughs> and what like, well, depending on who you are, like, and now 2017. If you're Japan, like 1945, or if you're <laughs> Poland, 1930. I don't know. It's all relative, <laughs> I guess. But bottom three for sure. Yeah. Now we have a president. I don't like. <laughs> um, so you know it's a real tragedy anyway yeah it has been um a full year i was and i you know and i and we're gonna we're gonna get there um but we both listened back to our first episode and one of the things i was listening to was you know um like just how echoey my track was and i was remembering like oh yeah it's because i recorded that upstairs in the in the spare room and i was like oh wait that's not the spare room anymore that's charlotte's bedroom now and then i started thinking like well we're moving in two weeks so where am i going to record the podcast in maryland and it was like a weird man a lot of time has passed since since we recorded that first thing but anyway before we go all the way down the nostalgia rabbit hole tell me what you've been into this week been into a number of things so this week was a big week for fantasy oathbringer dropped which is the third Stormlight Archive book by Brandon Sanderson, his magnum opus series that he's been working on and will be working on for the next 30 years. Uh, probably like 20, but whatever. And that's his that's his highest of high fantasy. Highest of high fantasy. I mean, it, it's almost, it's like high fantasy with some anime thrown in almost. I mean, the, <laughs> the dudes wear giant magic armor and they have swords that are literally like eight or nine feet long at points that are magic swords. Yeah, I get the impression that around writing book three of Mistborn is when uh, Sanderson really got into anime. <laughs> He's always been a big fan. Uh, okay, I, I I think, but uh, yeah, no. Uh, so I but before that, I read. I finally got around to reading Edge Dancer, which was the Stormlight Archive novella that was at the end of was released with his sort of short story novella collection, Arcanum Unbounded. It stars a girl named Lyft, who was sort of, he does these little interlude chapters in the Stormlight Archive where he kind of just jumps to a random character you've never met before and, you know, goes through, goes through their story for a little bit. Uh, and he, this character's going to play a bigger role as the series goes on, and he wanted to write some Stormlight while, I guess, while he was writing some other Stormlight, because he's a weirdo, and he wrote this novella, which I finished last night and was very good. I would recommend it. And then I started Oathbringer. Uh, so sadly, China Me you were on back burner for a little bit. But... Uh... I'll get back to it. I promise. <laughs> I just, I can't not read the crap out of this because it's awesome. And I was, this is funny because I was trying to kind of, and it's been, it's been a couple years. I was like, oh, I should probably get, it's a pretty complicated story. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go on the wiki and the, it's called the copper mind. 
case you ever want to dig around. Yeah. But I was like, all right, I'm going to try to refresh my memory. I'm like, okay, I'm way more confused after an hour than I was <laughs> if I just didn't even look anything up. So, because it is, it's a lot going on in the story. So, and a lot of stuff that it's, it's one of those things that like Sanderson's got so much going on in the background, but you don't even really need to know it to like to enjoy the story, which is kind of, I think, where he really shines because you don't really need to know at this point. I just like mm. to know because I'm me. <laughs> but anyway, so getting into that, we'll, we'll check back in. I also, I haven't talked this one before, but I played a really, I played and then bought a really fun board game called Terraforming Mars. What <laughs> well, creative title on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's literally the goal of the game is you terraforming Mars. And uh, I wanted to bring it up because not only is it a really fun kind of economy engine building game, if you're into that sort of thing, it's also just really fun to play, but I really like the flavor in it. Just, it has like 150 or 200 cards that are sort of the main engine of the game. And each one is unique. So each one is some act that you would do to try and terraform Mars or like some piece of, you know, how we think, you know, I think it's set in like 2070 and we're, you know, there's, you're competing corporations trying to be the best corporation that terraforms Mars, which is probably how it'll play out. Let's, let's be real, in all honesty, uh, but it's really, really cool. So I would recommend if you're into board games to check that out. And then also some music. I've been really into this band Astronoid. Yeah. So I was, they were supposed, I was supposed to go to a concert and see Periphery Animals as leaders this past weekend. And the two openers were Carbomb and Asteroid. But then I found out that Asteroid was not opening for them. And then my concert partner and I were old men and didn't go to the concert and went home and played, <laughs> went home and played Terraforming Mars instead. <laughs> and it made me think back to a time, a time a long time ago when I was in college and Greg has already retired twice. And I asked him to go to a concert with me and Greg was like, you know, concerts just, uh, uh, and I was like, I didn't get it. I was like, what are you talking about? Concerts are a blast. I was like 20 or 21. And you're like, ah, well, you just don't understand. Like when you get older and I was like, I'm never going to be like that. No, I'm totally like that now. <laughs> well, I do think that maybe part of my explanation was, um, and chances are when you, when, when I don't even remember what this show might've been, but, um, that was probably also when, you know, the band I was in was a lot more active. And when, you know, every other Friday or Saturday night, like I'm out playing a show, you know, on the Saturday nights when I'm not playing a show, like I don't want to go to a show anyway. But yes, no, it does get to a point where you're like, oh, you mean I have to like stand on a hard floor surrounded by strangers <laughs> for hours and then drive home from Philly? Ugh. I know. I yeah, know. you just, you get a little bit more choosy. But yeah, so, but I, you know, I regret it a little bit, but then I also heard that it wasn't the best show. But anyway, mm -hmm. I get back to Asteroid. They're like spacey, thrashy. I don't even know how to describe them. I think a lot of people who don't like metal would probably dig these guys as well. I don't think yeah. it's, it's a, they're a metal band, but it's not a prerequisite. Like you could definitely enjoy these guys no matter who you are. They're kind of atmospheric. Uh, I really like, so their, their full album came out, I think this year called air is really good. And then they mm -hmm. have a EP called stargazer, which is a little more black metal, which is, and also a little more awesome, but, but, a, but only a little bit more black metal in some of the instrumentation, right? The vocals are very non metal vocals. Yeah. Um, right. When I looked up their genre on metal archives, they had listed shoegaze and I was like, what the hell is that? You don't know what shoegaze is? I've never heard that term before in my life. Okay. So shoegaze, I, I don't know if I would put these guys in the shoegaze category. Um, shoegaze is a genre, was a genre, uh, kind of peaked in the, I want to say mid to late nineties, primarily in Britain. Um, 
kind of the iconic band is My Bloody Valentine. So it's kind of a atmospheric pop, you know, kind of an atmospheric indie pop that is defined by like big walls of very, very echoey, reverby guitars. Um, Deaf Heaven is kind of known for being one of the pioneering bands of like really combining black metal and shoegaze. Okay. Um, so, I mean, you hear elements of shoegaze in a lot of bands today, like Explosions in the Sky incorporates a lot of shoegaze type elements. Um, I could see where these guys, like, there is some common DNA with shoegaze, but it's really far away. But these guys have like a very, it's a very non-metal vocal. It's very kind of like spacey and ethereal and like um, harmonized and almost, it has a little bit of like, a delivery that's a little bit more like an emo band or like a post emo yeah. band like Circa Survive or Fall of Troy, but it's not that. It's really hard to explain and it's really, really good. It's not whiny in the way that some of those bands can be. Right. It's like that ethereal is a good way for it. It soars kind of above the music and it's really wall of sound, which I'm really into and I'm just really digging it. So I, I wanted to bring it up because not everyone listens to this podcast as a metalhead. Uh, and I wanted to make sure that. You know, let me tell you that you don't have to be metalhead to like this band. I think that this band would be liked by a lot of people. Yeah. And yeah. I think they're young dudes on the rise. So, yeah, they're going to be a crossover band for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. That's, that's about what I've, that's what I've, what I've been into. All right. So let's talk about, you know, going back and listening back to episode one. Our topic was how to save superhero fiction. Uh huh. And I mean, I think we nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, things got better, right? Well, you know, it's interesting because we brought up a lot of things and, you know, we don't need to necessarily rehash the whole episode. You can just, you know, go back and listen to it again. Although you'll have to forgive our amateur-esque quality sound. Although it really wasn't that bad. You know, it really wasn't that bad. Now that I go back and listen to it, um, it was it was fine. Yeah, I think some of our later, like in that, like the maybe like the four to seven time period had some bigger issues just because we were experimenting and trying different yeah, things and exactly. the first episode turned out probably we were also probably a lot more choosy at that point but yeah yeah so what do you think did did figgy listen to us uh boy um uh, i think that's the bigger that's the bigger question so but first i i i you you have a you I, i'm looking at our notes here you have a question for me and I want to I help me understand what, why this is an issue for you. So this came up in this episode and it came up in the episode we were talking about uh, magic, I think. And maybe also the Star Wars episode. But Greg, do you know how the force works? Because you keep saying anyone can learn the force if they studied hard in it. And I was just like, people brought this up at the time and I kind of just gave you a pass because it was our first episode. Well, I'm just double checking. You do know yeah, that only certain I, people can use the force, no, right? No, I listen. I know exactly how the force works. Uh, it's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us and it binds the galaxy together. Okay. So, uh, created by all living things, surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. I think that says it's a pretty universal thing. Some people might be more talented in using it than others, but um, that's what I know about the force. I know there's some kinds of fake news out there about blood bugs that make that make you accessible to it, but uh, uh, I understand it as a universal energy field. Correct. Which can theoretically be manipulated by anyone. I am not being contrary. You know who said that? Obi-Wan fucking Kenobi. He knows more about the Force than you do. 
Okay, but in all the subsequent Star Wars anything, it's never been implied that there like that any normal schmuck could I guess it's never been said it well, in the movies, I guess it's never been said it can't. But I think it heavily implies that only certain people are force sensitive. I disagree. I think it says certain people are strong with the force or the force is strong with certain people, but it does not say that um, being able to use the force is limited to a certain set of people who are genetically defined. I think everything in the movies, which is the only thing that matters, and again, only movies that, you know, number four onward, um, <laughs> it, it seems to me like it is a thing that anyone can tap into with the proper training. Some people are more naturally predisposed. Again, it is the force is strong with this one, not this one knows how to, this one is of the subset who know how to use the force or can use the force. It is just strong with certain people. Well, Greg, I hate to break it to you, but in the new canon, the prequels are sadly not thrown out the window yet. I don't give a shit about any new canon. <laughs> All right, Greg, whatever you Also, say. I don't know why we need to believe Qui-Gon Jinn. That guy was a shitty Jedi. He was not a great Jedi. You're not wrong about that. I mean, he he's indirectly or pretty much directly responsible for everything bad that happened afterwards yeah. also when he he had the ability to free various slaves he was like we'll just take the boy the mom can stay <laughs> yeah he wasn't a super nice guy no he's a bad person and a bad jedi i don't know why we should believe anything he says fair enough all right we'll move on but we'll come back to this some other day when what are you gonna do when you know the next movie comes out and they explicitly say this this sort of thing and look if those words come out of luke skywalker's mouth that only certain people can use the force at all, then I will accept it as true. But uh, so far, the only expert I've seen, experts, Obi-Wan, Yoda, Darth Vader, they don't say that it has anything to do with magical blood bugs. All right. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on. <laughs> okay. Yes, we should. So <laughs> the context of that from the original episode was this argument about how the fucking force works was we were trying to define what constitute, constitutes a superhero. And I said that Star Wars doesn't really count because um, a superpowers aren't something that anybody can get just from going to the gym, right? And my argument was, you know, the force is not, you know, you can get good at the force with the proper training. So um, that's how we got there. <laughs> so as I was listening to our episode, we're kind of talking a lot about the problems with superhero fiction. Um, and I think that one of the big things that we kind of circled around was what I, I'm going to call the burden of continuity. Um, and that kind of manifests in a couple different ways. The, the first way is there's the burden of continuity because superhero fiction, unlike a lot of other fictions, like it's just, it's this ongoing continuity of, Every Batman story from 1939 onward is true in some way in the Batman canon. And it is it creates a burden for the reader or viewer of the movies because you get that homework feeling, right? We talked about like, I want to go see the new Marvel movie, but boy, I might have missed a couple. Am I going to be lost? Am I going to know what's going on? And you might go to go to see a movie and they're referencing things that might have happened in other movies and you feel a little lost, you feel a little left out. So there's a burden on you as a viewer because there's all this other stuff out there that you might not be tuned into. Um, but it also puts a burden on the characters. 
And the example I, I used then was Batman. And I said, one of the reasons Batman's a bad character is because the character today carries a lot of baggage from just 80 years of publication history of things that were kind of bolted on or added on because they made sense at the time or because, you know, there were regulatory reasons. Like the reason Batman has a moral code against killing people is because the comics code came along midway through the existence of Batman and they needed to explain why Batman doesn't just murder dudes. Um, so, but all these things get bolted on and then you end up with a character today in 2017 who, you know, is this like weird, like depression era fantasy of what like a poor kid in, you know, in Hoboken in 1939 dreamt like what a rich guy was like. And that's what Bruce Wayne is. And he doesn't kill people, even though he really probably should from time to time. And he's a detective, but he's also a karate man and all of these things bolted together. And you just end up with this Batman. That's just kind of a mess because there's the burden of continuity that a Batman story written today has to pay off on certain things that are just inherited from 80 years of publication. So it creates a burden on people because they always feel like they're two steps behind the super fan and it creates a burden on the character or the, or the people who are creating the thing because uh, they have to be true to a bunch of old bullshit. Um, so I guess the question is, how do we feel about the burden of continuity today? Well, I think that we're being shown that the studios aren't caring quite as much, at least cross-platform, right? One thing I've read about the initial reviews of Punisher, which are very mixed. <laughs> I mean, so mixed from... From what I've read as the best Marvel Netflix series ever, all the way down to the worst Netflix Marvel ever, which <laughs> is kind of uncommon for things to be that like the Justice League reviews are also mixed. But it's usually like it ranges from this was an OK movie to this is a terrible movie <laughs> <laughs> ranging from as bad as I expected to eh, better than crap. Yeah. So it's weird to have that big thing. But anyway, uh, one one of the things I read briefly was that it feels very strange. Like, is this because it's not just set in a couple blocks in New York? Like, he's traveling around the country and like they're dealing with all this military stuff and all this police stuff. And it's like nowhere does the fact that he's living in a world with superheroes come up at all. And mm -hmm. it feels off because they kind of fudge it a little bit in the other Netflix shows for sure. But they said the context of this one is a little bit bigger. And so having missing that is kind of like, well, but. We, we've been told this is supposed to be happening. Like we're told the event in New York happened. Right. Indirectly. So, so and I haven't seen any of Punisher yet because I don't think it, it's no. as a public release till Friday. Friday. Right? Friday. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I haven't seen it yet. I, and I've been trying to, I've only been seeing like the headlines of reviews and I, you know, um, I'm not sure if I'm going to watch it just because I, I'm not sure if I want to. I don't know. Maybe well, this goes back to our problematic media episode, but like, I don't know if I want to encourage it. But, um, well, did you hear that they, sorry, to get off the top tangent on this, but they, the reviews I'm reading are saying, most of them said, the thing we thought this was going to be terrible with, aka the gun violence and handling of that, was actually pretty good and complex, but it just wasn't a good show. Yeah, I was kind of, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, we, uh, yeah. Um, so it sounds like that that creates a dissonance when you're watching it. It, it that detracts this decision on Marvel's to kind of ignore the larger continuity actually works against it because it creates a dissonance in your head and it hurts the suspension of disbelief because you're saying like, okay, if there was this guy going on a, you know, machine gun murder rampage across the United States, 
like they would at least send Falcon in to <laughs> like you know like to to like round this guy up. Like I can't understand why like for instance in Jessica Jones why given the the context of the of of Kilgrave and the things he was doing why like why that wouldn't pop up on the Avengers radar. And it ditto for a lot of the other ones, but like the hand, like they're just like kind of working behind the scenes and doing some weird stuff, literally underground. I can see why, you know, that wouldn't, you know, ping the Avengers notice until things started to get a little bit crazier and crazier as the uh, Daredevil and Defenders shows went on. Um, but if the things the Punisher is doing, like he's literally embarking on mass shootings against what appear to be, even though they may be corrupt, uh, FBI and <laughs> police people. Like, yeah, I feel like Iron Man might want to have something to say about that. Yeah, and also, I mean, it goes sort of the other direction too, where, I mean, in the other area of Marvel that I felt like Thor, in some ways, jettisoned some of the baggage of continuity by just killing a bunch of people and cha dramatically changing the tone of the movie and the character without much concern for like oh does this fit in well with thor 2 or whatever I mean, obviously there's still a lot of other canon issues that are like canon continuity burden of continuity in that movie especially as it sets up a lot of i assume what's going to happen in or not maybe a lot of it but some of what's going to happen in infinity war movie as it's sort of the last big avengers movie before that one especially in the cosmic sense so i will say i i i do think i think that marvel has been trying to make these movies a little bit easier just to pick up but one of the things that kind of took pulled continually pulled me out of thor especially in the first act uh thor ragnarok was that i kept wondering like is this a thing from thor 2 that i just missed because i didn't see thor 2 yeah like and loki's death and all that yeah and even though I'll, you don't need to have seen it, there's still that nagging thing that pulls you out of the movie a little bit of like, is this just something that I'm not supposed to understand right now and will be explained later? Or is this something that I missed because I didn't see Thor 2? And I keep asking myself, did I? Did I? And also the, there is now this expectation because we know like Infinity War is coming. Infinity War is coming. We're aware of this thing that's taking place outside of the movie we're watching. And we keep watching for like, is this, is this a setup for that thing? Are we, what is, is this going to be a, does this have, you know, and you're like, it makes it harder to just sit back and enjoy the movie you're watching because your brain keeps going back to the last movie that you didn't see and then projecting out ahead to what the next movie is going to be. So I feel like in some ways it's gotten worse because it's, it's gotten, and maybe it's just because infinity war is coming up and like, we know this is kind of the last big setup for it because I don't think Black Panther is going to do much Infinity War setup. So it's kind of like, oh boy, here we go. Um, yeah, it's 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 like it, it's just pulls our attention to it. I do feel like that's definitely a thing that I've experienced as time goes on. Like as soon as I'm walking out of that theater, I'm like, oh, I'm ready for the next one. I'm excited because I usually enjoy the movies, but I'm so preoccupied with what's coming next. I definitely feel that. So I think that at the end of our episode, first episode, we gave the recommendation to we both give the same recommendation to sort of feel more confident to either jettison the continuity in your sense and your recommendation or mine more do creative things within a greater idea of continuity. Yeah. And Marvel hints of it, but DC actually. Yeah. I mean, you said just make a Batman movie. It's not connected to anything. And 
kind of feel like they were listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and the question is, because now it seems like DC is peddling away from the larger grand interconnected universe in the way that uh, Marvel has it, where everything is leading up to big crossover films. Whereas um, DC seems to be taking the tack of everything's going to kind of, they're all going to be running parallel and take place in the same general tone and universe, but it's not all building up to crossovers and all, you know, um, constantly influencing the other movies. And, and they're also looking like they're willing to experiment more with like, they're doing this weird, like crime drama, Joker origin movie that nobody asked for. But theoretically they are kind of saying like, no, let's, you know, let's not make these things as burdensome. And if you just like the wonder woman movies, you can just go see all the wonder woman movies and be fine. Um, but one has to wonder how much of this is because they took a, they, they, they stepped back and looked at what they were doing and they were saying, you know what? Marvel is making the, the crossover thing work, but also, you know, I see a lot of headlines when, when new Marvel movies come out that say like, here are all the things you need to remember before you go see Thor Ragnarok. And, you know, maybe we don't want to burden our, our viewers with that. Let's just make some, you know, let's just make some good Wonder Woman movies, some good Batman movies and see how it goes. Um, because that's going to be the, you know, that's the experience we want to give our viewers different kind of experience. We want to lower the bar for entry for people. Or do you think they took a look at it and said, holy shit, every movie we've made except Wonder Woman has been garbage. Maybe we should let these things like uh, either sink or swim on their own and not try to have a big master plan because we are incompetent. I mean, yeah, that's the second one for sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's funny because we really we really laid it on heavy about Zack Snyder and, you know, for what was you know we've touched, discussed before mostly for family reason but i can't help but wonder there's a little bit of we talk about it's like a little bit of a convenient time to usher him to the side and do some other things let some yeah. other people take the reins for a bit like joss whedon or whoever's going to be in charge now so yeah i mean i think that there's some changes here so i guess that question comes to you then greg are you you said at the end of the episode that you're not really interested in superhero fiction uh, yeah, maybe maybe you're a little forced to be interested because we have this podcast and I'm going to make you talk about it. But I'm trying to think about the superhero movies that have come out, you know, since we first started this podcast. We had Doctor Strange, we yeah. had Guardians 2, we had Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah. Thor, yeah. we had Wonder Woman, yeah. Logan. Uh-huh. Was Deadpool in there too or was that prior to – that was prior to the podcast, wasn't it? Well, uh, that was in February. No, that was – wait. I think it was two Februarys ago, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So that's the – the bulk of it may have missed one in there, but in all movies that I don't think you hated any of those movies besides, no, I don't think you hated any of those movies. No. Um, and I do think that there have been some really good ones in there, but I will say that of the Marvel movies, they all feel incomplete with the exception of maybe Spider-Man. I'd agree with that. Um, they all feel like they are middle chapters in some larger thing, which they are. And they don't do a great job of just being their own movie. Um, and Logan was easily the best of the bunch. Um, and I think that's because it just tried to be a movie about, you know, a, essentially a, you know, father-daughter drama about a man trying to find some redemption. Um, he just so happened to have metal claws that come out of his hands. <laughs> um, and, but I think... I think at you know after a year, I think I am less interested in superhero fiction. 
Um, but I don't know that that's entirely the superhero movies' fault. Um, I think it's more just, we talked about it a little bit earlier, the shittiness of 2017 and where we are culturally um, and where the kind of light has been shined in, in our current world and our current culture. And sadly, because of the nature of the superhero movies as they are today, they're all lead-ins to some other thing. Um, they don't offer the escape that maybe I would want from a movie like this, where it just feels so wildly disconnected or maybe too connected to other things. Like it's just this node in this larger web and uh, it's, a, it's a such a, you know, requires so much mental bandwidth to understand where this takes place and what the context is and how Thor got into space and blah, 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 blah. Whereas um, like, you know, Last Jedi, I'm like, cool. I know what happened in the last Star Wars movie. I'm good. I'm ready to go see more Star Wars and that will be a good escape. But so the so superhero movies aren't really offering me the escape because I can't just escape into that movie. I have to also escape into the 700 movies that came before it and the next big movie that's coming out. Um, but I also think there's something about the evils that we're currently confronting in the real world right now are not the kinds of evils that superheroes can save us from. Like, one of the things that I think we all had to come to grips with this year is that, holy shit, we're the bad guys. The bad guys are here and they are at home. And um, the Red Skull is not, for a lot of people, the Red Skull was the hero of Captain America. And those people are Americans and they are voting and they are becoming more powerful. And there is a deep, deep rot in the center of our, of the American soul. And... It just feels like superheroes aren't fighting the right battles right now, at least in the movies. And I don't know. They're not as inspiring as they were maybe at, at the end of 2016. I could see that. I feel like I'm less interested in superhero fiction. I mean, I still really like the Marvel movies and I will see all of them and I'm going to hate watch Justice League. But other areas have declined and maybe i'm just I'm also getting to that point where i just don't have as much leisure time to just spend wa watching whatever so you know i haven't really been keeping up i've watched like two or three episodes of the flash and they're like six episodes in of all those shows and i haven't watched a single one out of any of them i haven't hate watching humans yet oh that's gonna happen at some point <laughs> but i feel like now i'm just look i'm like i'll stick to the things i know are usually pretty dang good and since i do like the web even though I do agree that there are some negatives to that, I'll stick to that and move on to other things. But I am curious to see how, you know, because these things take time to, society takes time to affect pop culture. doesn't always happen immediately, especially yeah, in things like comics yeah. that take a while. So I'll be curious to see what is like, what is next year's comics have to say about some of the stuff? I don't know. Maybe it won't say anything, yeah. but. Yeah, I don't, I, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. And I, I, maybe this is why I've been reading more fantasy. Um, is because it's not me forcing you <laughs> and maybe it isn't just yeah it isn't just you forcing me but maybe there is something about like i want to see a different world where um the the e the good and evil is not oh there's one guy with a dastardly plan it's more things like you know like there is a deep corruption at the heart of the ruling class of the kingdom or those sorts of things where the, the the struggle is more societal and cultural in a lot of fantasy than it is kind of personal, like 
there's a yeah a guy with a dastardly plot and the way to stop him is to punch him really hard <laughs> which is generally the superhero mode of doing things which um you know it's interesting that fantasy modern fantasy i think is like that because maybe 10 or 15 years ago i don't think people would have said that so much about fantasy you know yeah but i think a lot of ones even though there is usually still a big bad guy somewhere to be found although not always it is i think there is it's a it's shining a light but not in a way that bums you out as bad i mean sometimes yeah. sometimes science fiction especially the real speculative and whatever can really bum you out <laughs> but i think the fantasy always has enough of that it is so it is removed enough that makes you think and they're they're fighting something you want to be fighting but it doesn't feel quite so close to home well and fantasy also especially and maybe this is and maybe it's just the fantasy that i've been reading lately you know i just did a three book run on the on the the first law where oh did you finish um, the third book yeah i thought we talked about that no Ah, uh, we'll have to get there. Okay. Um, is you know, like the the the, the struggle is not going to be solved by just going and having one climactic battle with the bad guy. It's like no, this is there's you know these are empires at war, and you know there are you know there are there aren't a lot of clear heroes and villains, but well, there kind of are some villains. <laughs> But you realize, like, it's not as simple as, like, well, we can't just go and, and kill the evil wizard. Like, even yeah. if we did that, things would still be pretty fucked. And um, I don't know. It just seems more like a, a, a struggle for, you know, a struggle for, like, it's like a, okay, so it's like a, so in the, in, in it, to, to go to the Ur fantasy, to go to Tolkien, right, it is a battle for who will control Middle Earth. Um, Middle Earth is in a state of of kind of neutrality, right? Where things have kind of been thrown into chaos because there were some bad guys who were in disguise and they've popped up and now, you know, there's good areas and there's bad areas and um, there's Mordor and then and then there's Gondor, but, you know, Saruman lives in Gondor and he's corrupting it from the inside and all the blah, 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 blah. Um, and it's a battle for it, who's going to be in control of Middle-earth. Is it going to be is is the rightful king Aragorn gonna come back into power and set things set things right, or is Sauron gonna win and make everything shitty for everybody? Um, it's a battle for the soul of Middle Earth, right? There's good and there's evil, but you're trying to get from a more of a neutral or chaotic state to one or the other. Whereas superhero stuff, it's more like the world was fine, and then the bad guys showed up, so now the good guys have to go and beat the bad guy and get the world back to the status quo. Um, and maybe there's something about fantasy that in its DNA is a little bit more like, um, finding a new status quo, a better status quo, or a battle for the, for the soul of the area, for the soul of middle earth, for the soul of, um, the circle of the world in the first law, like, um, that might appeal more than just, boy, I sure wish that Batman would show up and take Donald Trump to jail. Cause it's like, I ain't gonna fix things. Yeah, no. I think it makes sense, and I think that, yeah, I think that really does make a lot of sense. So I think that we should just, uh, I'm, I'm cool with reading more fantasy. I'm all about except, it. Except the one I told you, been telling you to read for a year, and you got two chapters into it, and then you got to go back to your eight-foot-long Dick Swords Sanderson anime nonsense. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm a bad person, but yeah, you're a horrible, horrible monster. So, I mean, I, I think this was good. I think it's good to touch base on these topics again, especially given a, a year's time. And uh, I think that 
we'll have to see what happens with superhero fiction. I think we're I think we're reaching a point. I mean, people have been saying superhero saturation for ten years now, but I do think we're hitting a point where some of these studios are going to, have to start doing some newer creative things. I think people will. I think they're still going to go and put money into it, but I think people are going to start going. Eh, I don't know. Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's market f- factors at work. Like people are going to get tired of seeing Chris Evans as Captain America, and they're getting tired of seeing uh, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. We're going to want something new, and also the obvious structures of the plot are getting more and more obvious. Like I'm seeing, you know, think pieces written, uh, you know, on Vox. So not, you know, not some like sci-fi blog, but like Marvel has a problem with, uh, with disposable villains. Yeah. And it's absolutely true about Hela in Thor Ragnarok was like, Hey, that was a cool villain. But like, we all know, like they disappear and they never, we never see them again. Or, you know, we talked about the same thing with Wonder Woman, not Marvel, but DC, but you know, Ares in that, in that movie, like he was just disposable. Like you're just some obstacle that they have to jump to get to the next bigger disposable villain. They're like video game bosses. And that is a problem for these, you know? I mean, we all complain about like, man, Mads Mikkelsen was one of the best parts of Dr. Strange, but he was on screen for four minutes, Yeah, (laughs) you know? Um, And, you know, things like that, these obvious problems that all the movies seem to have that they need to start fixing because, you see enough of these things and you start to look at them from a higher, higher level view. And you're like, Oh, these are movies are all kind of the same. And I'm kind of getting bored of seeing these same story beats over and over again and feeling like the movies never really go anywhere. I mean, I would love to see, and even the Thor movies do this well with Loki of like, just give me a recurring protagonist or antagonist that I can root against, but is also fun to watch. And I can see what their dastardly plot will be this time. I mean, the James Bond movies did very well with this, where they had six or seven movies in a row where Blofeld was the villain. And sometimes they would try to pretend that he wasn't going to be the villain, and but then he would always show up halfway through, and he'd be like, ah, you again. Um, but then you get to have a, you get to build a relationship with the, with the hero, and you get to see some stuff uh, work or uh, you get to see some stuff develop and change. And one of the things that works about the new X-Men movies is that Magneto is in all of them. And he's usually the villain or on the villain side eventually. And, you know, you get to know that character and you get to look forward to seeing him. So that's one problem they could solve, but they have a whole list of those problems that they need to solve to kind of get past this fatigue or just boredom uh, of the way that Marvel does things. Yeah. I'm curious to see as, properties are increasingly we're seeing more players right hulu's bringing out runaways we've got more tv shows on than ever probably you know we've got whatever the hell is going to go on with disney streaming stuff and how that relates to marvel like so i think maybe maybe we'll see some fresh things come from other people but maybe maybe an avenue of change because even even netflix is in a rut apparently with like the biggest problem with these shows is that you're trying to shove probably what should have been like eight episodes into 13 you know yeah. and and that's been the complaint from my parallel punisher so far it's like oh again really guys we've already had this problem like four times in a row how can you not see that maybe 13 is just too many episodes yeah you had to tell so yeah those reoccurring problems so maybe some maybe a new a new player a new a new take on it will breathe some new blood into it yeah and it's not even like i can understand why you know in the old traditional television market like you wanted to guarantee 13 episodes because that guarantees a certain amount of advertiser time that you want to fill and a certain number of weeks in this schedule right. that you want to fill. But that's not how things work anymore. Like is, you know, if, if Punisher was only eight episodes, would there be fewer Netflix subscribers this year? I don't think so. No, no. Yeah, I don't think so. So 
And maybe that's part of still just an adjustment for some studios that aren't so forward thinking. I mean, one thing I liked about um, the show, Aziz Sanzari's show, Master of None, is that like they didn't really follow a conventional episode structure. Like some episodes were 18 minutes, some episodes were 45. Like they just did yeah. what they needed to do to be to serve the story, which I think can be a little off putting. We're like, oh, let's throw on an episode. And it's like, oh shit, this episode's like an hour. I didn't know that. But <laughs> yeah. it also is fun just to be like, well, that's what they wanted to do. And they don't have to follow the same beat if that's not what they're trying to go for. So I think right. there's still ground to be gained in new media if you will Mm -hmm. so so i think there's something else we want to we want to talk about stranger things season two we do um but i also think we should uh first take a quick break for some news because there's some pretty big stories this week some really big stories this week a couple big pieces of news this week about big properties that we talk a lot about (laughs) (laughs) yeah the big ones in Star, in Star Wars the, world, like we just have a ton of news get leaked, not leaked, get announced. So we were both very disappointed, I think, that when they announced J.J. Abrams as the guy for the next Star Wars movie. For episode uh, nine. Nine. And I was just like, well, I really like Rian Johnson. I just want Rian Johnson to do it again. Even though I haven't even seen this movie, I just think it's going to be good. And it might be bad. But I guess what actually happened was... They said, we're not going to give you a movie. We're going to give you a whole nother trilogy and not in the main storyline. Yeah. So this is where it gets a little tricky. So yeah, Ryan Johnson, he's getting a new Star Wars trilogy, but it's clear that this is not episodes 10 through 12. Um, It is, this is a quote, this new trilogy will quote, introduce new characters from a corner of the galaxy that Star Wars lore has never before explored, end quote. So what does that mean? I mean, I'm excited because <laughs> this is what I want, because Star Wars doesn't always have to be about Skywalkers and Solos and the Rebel Alliance and the Empire. Like, Star, I mean, it can be the anti-Marvel because the movies don't have to connect. They can take place. You could have a whole story on other because there's thousands and thousands and thousands of worlds in a galaxy that's I mean, it's a whole galaxy. It's huge with and you could go any direction in time and do a really cool story and not have it really doesn't have to connect or be part of the broader story. I mean, I'm sure they'll. They'll make some Easter eggs and do some tie-ins, but it doesn't have to build to a Infinity Gauntlet style build-up. I can just be like, well, this is the next story. So this is this is interesting because if they wanted to say this introduces characters from an era of the Star Wars timeline that's never been explored, they could have said that. Yeah. But they say corner of the galaxy, which implies this is not this isn't going to be old republic. Or some kind of far-flung future, you know, 200 years in the future of Star Star Wars where, you know, Luke Skywalker is some kind of legendary figure. Um, this implies that this is, this is going to be a, a, a trilogy that takes place more or less concurrently with the current, not current, you know, with the, the, the main storylines, but somewhere else. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you. I am not interested in hearing what's going on in some unexplored pocket of the galaxy because I would say that it's probably less interesting than the stuff that's going on in the, like the you know Rebel Empire area because they've got the biggest spaceships and the giant battles and the long family dynasties of Force sensitives having weird working out their family troubles over lightsabers. That sounds cool. I can't imagine that there is some bigger, cooler thing happening, you know, or just on the other side of the galaxy that 
I want to see. Now, maybe there might be different stories to tell within the Star Wars universe, but for me, the universe of Star Wars isn't the compelling thing. It's the it's the stories of the, you know, of the Skywalker family and of the of the alliance and the the empire. That's the interesting stuff. I'm not sure as I'm as interested in seeing like, ooh, let's check out the Nerf herders, see what they're up to. I'm a little disappointed in you, Greg, because for you to say, you know, it's not going to be anything bigger or more important. I think I've always thought you'd be the first person to say like, oh, but it doesn't have to be bigger. It can be different. It can, you know, it can explore something maybe more deep. Maybe not as much as be big spectacle spaceships. It could be some crazy weird force shit going down somewhere. So, yeah, but my argument is that I don't think the Star Wars universe as a fictional setting is strong enough to support those. Mm, I could see that. Uh so I actually missed my call, like missed my time here because like there's all these articles, this whole the big revival. Of, I mean, I can't really say revival of stars, but you know what I mean, like movies and everything coming back. Disney purchase like people are like mining the, e, the old EU for like maybe they'll do something like this. Maybe, like there's all these articles and I'm like, man, I could have written these like I could be publishing <laughs> this stuff. This isn't fair. But I also think it's stupid because it's like, well, I mean, they might pull some things, but like it's just it's just very obvious, like not clickbait is the wrong word, but just like. What could it be? It's like, oh, I'm interested in what it could be. It's like, let's pull from these obscure stories from 20 years ago. Like, they're clearly going to use this as influence. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're going to do something else entirely. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I wonder what they, I mean, I think that, I, I wonder if he might, it might be something set in the middle time period, not middle, like the between the classic trilogy and the new trilogy with maybe it doesn't explore because it sounds like the main character is kind of fucked off for a while. Yeah. So maybe there's stuff to there's cool stuff to be told about the end of like the I mean, I know some of this is being talked about in the books. So I don't know if they're going to I know they're trying to really make this canon tight this time. I don't know. I, I really don't know what it's going to be. I mean, I, they have to. I don't know how you I do agree with you that the Star Wars universe in the way that Disney is setting it up and that the movies have set up without the luxury of books and books to build it up and make new characters and have different things and like do a little more different things and go forward in the future and whatnot. I do wonder how if, if if someone like you is most interested in Skywalkers and Empires and Rebellions, how do you not keep you having the same story told over and over again, which is sort of what we got in Force Awakens? Sure. I just think that uh, I mean, I, I also wonder how how eager this, you know, the, the Star Wars viewer who is everyone on the planet is going to be to jump into a movie that's called Star Wars that has no characters they recognize doesn't key into any plot points they recognize. It's just, well, they've got their guns make the same sound as the movies you like. Like, that's a tough sell. Yeah. And so this is a really risky and interesting move. Um, the other thing that I'm curious about is, are they, Is does this signify that Disney is walking away from the kind of, you know, main trilogy standalone movie, main trilogy, standalone movie, TikTok thing that they're planning. Because if odd years are going to be, you know, main saga, even years are going to be movies like Rogue One or Han Solo or Boba Fett or whatever. Are Where do these, where does this new trilogy fit in? Or have they looked at Rogue One and they saw that, you know, kind of eh, maybe not great performance, you know, mm, underwhelming critically, and said, maybe these standalone things, and then the troubles they had even just making the Han Solo movie, maybe these things aren't the right way to go. Maybe we want to just start a, you know, 
parallel ongoing series of something else. We can have tighter control over it. We can plot out the different plot points a little bit more. I don't know. It's very interesting. And I, I really want to hear more about it. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is interesting regardless of what they choose to do. I think there's, so there's other possibilities I've thought of are like, maybe they're going to, I mean, maybe they're going to double up and not go Marvel route and bring out two Star Wars movies a year or two every other year and not stick to the one Star Wars movie a year system, which, you know, I was kind of hoping that we just kept a one because at least that paces us a little bit. <laughs> but I guess that's a, that's a wish, you know, wishful thinking. But I, I think that one other thing they might do is maybe they'll set up a, maybe they will pull Infinity Gauntlet and they'll have this trilogy setting up parallel with the other main saga and eventually they'll meet in a even bigger spectacle, you know, for something like to pull on some oldie used stuff. I could see them doing something in like, there's a large, basically half the galaxy or maybe a third is called the Unknown Regions and that still exists in the new canon. There's a lot of weird shit that goes on out there, including where a very popular character, Admiral Thrawn, Grand Admiral Thrawn is from. And there's also in the later EU, like these extra galactic invaders that are a very different Star Wars story from anything told because they're, they're actually don't exist in the force because they're not from the galaxy. Hmm. And I wonder if maybe they could be laying a groundwork for something a little bit like that. Like they do, they tell a story of, you know, maybe those guys come into the unknown regions and this over here and then, Eventually, they're going to come to the main galaxy, and then we'll have characters from both. We'll have Avengers and the Guardians, for lack of a better term, you know, team up to, or not team up, because it's not that kind of movie, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. It's really, it really is interesting. I really, and this being announced right along with the news that for the new Disney streaming service, they're going to make, be making finally a live action Star Wars TV show. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. They also said they're going to make a new Marvel show as well, but which could be Squirrel Girl since that got pulled from Freeform. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see how this, the Disney streaming service disrupts the landscape because <laughs> I feel like it's going to a great deal, but I don't know. I, I am really interested. I mean, one thing that it does sell to me is that they must really like The Last Jedi because to give Ryan Johnson the keys, I don't know, is it Reed or Ryan? I don't know. I always say that. I've always, one. yeah, I've always said Ryan. Give him one of those parents who just like wanted to name their kids something boring and simple, but wanted to change the letters just, just yeah. slightly. So frustrating. Um, like for them to give them the keys to the kingdom for a whole nother trilogy. That's a big, like you said, it's a big risky commitment. So they must be like, man, the last Jedi is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully it is, <laughs> or it could be the opposite. And we see last Jedi and go, Oh, this sucked. Oh no. <laughs> Cause it could mean uh, they're, they're pulling a DC, but I just don't see him doing it. Disney doesn't make that kind of mistake. It's true. So on a very similar note of weird additions to all existing franchises, we talked about this a little bit last last week, but we have some more details and a confirmation. Amazon is making an ongoing Lord of the Rings TV show. Multi-season. Um, it Just purchasing the rights was a quarter of a billion dollars. Just the rights. And... Now, the details aren't totally clear, but it really seems like those rights did not get them Frodo and Sam and Gandalf and all of the characters that I'm guessing New Line owns the rights to. So these are the these are the facts about what we know. And it seems like Christopher Tolkien, uh, J.R. Tolkien's son, resigned from the Tolkien estate 
in at the end of August, which is probably why all of a sudden, because he was the one who was holding playing everything very very close to the vest. The mo- the movie rights to the original trilogy to the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings those were sold in like the '60s, so they've just been floating around Hollywood. But he, you know, hasn't really licensed anything really new outside of that. But he's done. So anyway, so now this is happening. So we know that they are new stories. So it's not the Silmarillion. Um, and it's not a redo of Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. We also know that it comes before the Lord of the Rings stories that we know. So if it's nothing we've seen before and it comes before Fellowship of the Ring, it's not the War of the Last Alliance, which was the big battle that we saw in kind of the prologue to Fellowship, where Isildur fights Sauron, cuts off the finger, gets the ring, blah, blah, blah. So it's not that, because we already saw that. It's certainly not the Silmarillion, because they would have said, we're making the Silmarillion. (laughs) And also it would require someone to have read the Silmarillion, which has never happened. Um, So really, when you kind of look at the Middle-Earth timeline, that narrows it down to a pretty narrow uh, stretch. Um, Essentially, the end of the second age up to the end of the the third age, which uh, is when the fellowship fellowship kicks off Um, because Silmarillion basically leads up to the, the end of the second age anyway. um, So, and based on what we already know about the world of middle earth, not a whole lot happens during that time. And, you know, it's it's just various elves and dwarves making alliances and then breaking alliances, and then somebody builds a castle and such and such a tower was built. So it's not the most exciting time in Middle Earth. And as much as I hate prequels, I hate what I'm going to call in between in between quills even more, which is, you know, okay, so we've got, um. And Rogue One kind of fits this. Although Rogue One at least had an interesting concept of we're going to explain one event from a larger war. Okay, fine. Um, but it, it's – so we've already said like – so some really interesting stuff happened back in the Second Age, in the First Age and the Second Age. That's the Silmarillion. You've had all kinds of wars between Valar and Maiar and you know these kind of semi-divine beings and – you know, they're, they're, they're pulling the sun out of the sky and imprisoning each other within the earth and all kinds of really epic shit goes down. And then they imprison the bad guy in, in a, some kind of magical well. And then everything's cool for a while. And then Sauron gains power and gains power and gains power until finally there's this big climactic war of the ring, which we already saw in three movies. And then Sauron is basically defeated and evil is defeated. The Lord of the Rings movies we saw were the culmination of a 7,000 year conflict between good and evil. And before that, you know, the, the, the wars in the Silmarillion were the culmination of thousands of years of conflict between good and evil. So now you're going to tell me that there's interesting stories to tell in between these giant conflicts of good and evil, especially in the context of the Lord of the Rings world, where it's really like, no, the interesting stuff is the giant conflicts between good and evil. That's just like the way these stories are told. It's all very epic and legendary. Like, it's not going to be very interesting to see a, you know, a story about a farmer who's down on his luck. Oh, and by the way, he's a hobbit. Like, I just don't know if that's going to work when you're like, hey, the last time I watched these movies, like, there was a dragon. 
who lived in a mountain full of gold. And now you're telling me that like, oh no, there's interesting stories to tell about the workmen who were working on Isengard. I just, this just, ah, this just seems dumb. It, there's no, all the good stories about Middle-earth got told. I think I know what they're going to do here. And it only just really crystallized for me just this second. So Amazon has been saying for a while that we want to make the next Game of Thrones. And saying that and saying that, and they've been buying things up and making things. And we've been saying like, maybe this is what they think. Well, this is clearly what they, this deal has probably been in the works for a while. This is probably what they're referencing. So they're going to try and make a Game of Thrones style, maybe not in the same level of like maturity, you know, like sex and gore or whatever, but a Game of Thrones style show set in Middle Earth during this downtime, which does deal with alliances and politicking. And I'm not saying it's a good idea. But I see where they're going with it. Like, I see that this is, they're going to try and be like, all right, well, what if Game of Thrones happened on Middle Earth in between, just kind of like on in Game of Thrones, like the really crazy epic stuff. I mean, I assume we're leading up to one right now, but the really crazy epic stuff all happened in the past. And really, if you're looking at a history book up till now, the current stuff that's happened is just more politics. You know what I mean? Like, oh, another king got killed. Oh, another hand of the king got killed. Oh, other oh, those houses are fighting. Who really cares, right? Obviously, we're building up to a now a bigger existential battle against evil. But prior to that, it was you know the doom of Valyria and all these different crazy big things that happened. Maybe they're going to try and do the same thing here and say we're just going to carve out a niche, make new characters, or or pull characters out of the million characters that existed at the time, and you're going to have a couple houses of dwarves and dwarves and a couple houses of elves and humans, and we're going to see how they interact. Yeah, because uh, everybody's favorite parts of the Lord of the Rings movies were when you know the elves and the dwarves were like, mm, I don't like you dwarves, oh, I don't like you elves. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully it's part. a little more complex than that, but yeah. Um, but clearly, you know, and there's still magical, goofy, fun things to do in Lord of the Rings and Middle Earth, I assume, in this time period. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder. I do think it's it's a, a weird decision. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. This this isn't going to go well for them. I don't think it'll go as, as they expected to. But it's, it is. It's it's ballsy. I'll give them that. It's ballsy. Uh, but <laughs> Sorry, Greg more tarnishing of things you love now but i just wanted to talk about one other brief piece of news because you know we we've got a weird week coming up we've got punisher and justice league coming out this weekend um but rotten tomatoes did a weird thing right on the heels of them getting criticized for you know being the death of, of movies they decided to withhold the rotten tomatoes score for justice league which by the way got leaked and isn't good <laughs> um it's like 48 percent or something Ooh. so but they were gonna withhold it till friday initially and this was being the the reason i was reading online was because they have some sort of critic show they're trying to push yeah sort of like the old show with uh um siskel and ebert yes yeah sort of like that and they wanted to they're gonna reveal it during that show or whatever which is like That'll be the downfall of Rotten Tomatoes. Sorry, Rotten Tomatoes. Just so you know, like, that's not a good business plan. You're doing no. fine how you are. Like, stick with it. So, but what, do you think there's any, do you think they were sort of trying to, I don't know, part of me says, I was kind of hoping they were trying to say that, do this as like a, to DC, like, okay, well, we won't put it out. Let's see how your movie does anyway, you know? Uh, yeah. But I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. And the timing is weird. And I think that Rotten Tomatoes needs to understand that, their role as a reviewer 
as a critic is to provide a service to viewers to help me plan out is this is this movie going to be a good use of my time and money it is they are not an entertainment provider in which case like ooh wait till we show you our new thing aren't you excited about no i'm using this as a tool to help me decide whether or not i should see this movie this is not some you know, big reveal of your new trailer that you're going to try to tease me for and get eyeballs for Like, that's not what your job is. Um, I do think that critics can be entertainers and can find ways to have an entertainment angle. Giant Bomb, the video game website, does a great job of this, but they take their role as reviewers very, very seriously. They don't fuck around with, when are we going to put up our review? We're going to put up our review as soon as the embargo lifts. That's what we're going to do. And the only reason we abide by the embargoes is because otherwise we don't get advanced copies and we can't do the reviews. Um, but then we will make podcasts and video bits where we entertain you and it's fun. And, you know, we might play stupid games of like, Oh, you know, we're going to on the, on this particular stream, we're going to reveal Dan's new haircut or some dumb shit like that. But they separate the review function from the entertainment function and rotten tomatoes needs to understand and stay in their fucking lane. Um, I mean, they they are owned by, NBC Comcast at this point. So uh, not places known for their best business decisions. So we'll see what yeah. happens. But yeah, I do agree to you. It's sticking your lane is a good way of putting it. I was just like, ah, that's terrible. And the fact that it got leaked anyway just shows that it's not going to stick. So yeah. But anyway, we'll see how all that turns out in a couple weeks. But shall we move on to some some things that may be a little bit strange? Maybe a little <laughs> bit too strange? <laughs> So what did you think of Stranger Things season two? So overall, I really liked it. I mm. feel like I don't have a lot to say, which is weird. I mean, I have things to talk about, but uh, I saw this is one of the situations where sometimes I feel like the hot takes culture of the Internet and that everyone has to have a really intense critical analysis. Of something can lead to people making stuff up or like reaching a little bit. And I kind of felt like, and you can feel free to disagree, but I sort of felt like this was the case with Stranger Things too. It's a huge cultural phenomenon. Everyone's into it. You know, it's, everyone's looking forward to it. Every, I mean, it's one of those huge shows like everyone in my office watches because it's not as nerdy as Game of Thrones or not as, you know, dumb as like other reality TV stuff. It's a, it's a very common thing that everyone, it's not too scary, but it's a little scary. You know, it's not, it's a very common thing. And because of that, I, I do think it plays a little safe, but I think that I saw a lot of stuff, especially uh, just some some weird articles, just like, really, that's your criticism? Like, I, I don't know, stuff, especially stuff around, and I'll get there, but like, I saw a lot of stuff complaining about some of the gender complaints about Max, about like her role as a female in the thing and like how sexist the show is because when they treated her, I'm just like, whoa, I, I mean, I didn't really pick up on any of that. I mean, it's the 80s, so there is some sexism going on from, you know, nine-year-olds, but like, I don't think it was a statement by the show. <laughs> so anyway. That's my little pre preface, but what do so, you think? I did not like it. Oh, okay. Now, my, you know, my stance, my ingoing, my conditions that I'm watching things under are a lot different than they were when I watched season one because I have a baby now, which means that I can't just binge things anymore because I don't have you know, I've got maybe an hour after we put the baby to bed and get the chores done. And before I kind of lose my attention span. So 
I was watching the episodes further apart and also you get interrupted. So, and sometimes it's harder to pay full attention to things because you're exhausted by the time you start watching your show. So I'm going in with that caveat, but again, that's the context I watched the show under. Um, with that caveat there, I felt like, you know, and we, people can go back and listen to the episode where we talked about it. And I had a lot of really glowing things to say about how the feeling of this show, and it feels like such a emblem of the time that it's trying to capture. Um, and it had such heart. This just felt like, it felt like a Stranger Things cover band to me. Like I felt the nostalgia beats were not as strong. I mean, I think that the way it was photographed and the score were perfect, but I also felt like some of the things were reaching a little hard. Like I kind of felt like they were like, hey, what's an element of the 80s like nostalgia that we didn't do? We didn't touch punks. Hey, let's do a punk chapter where she goes and hangs out in a graffiti warehouse with all the different punk archetypes. And that just felt like kind of tacked on and and I just didn't feel like the plot was as strong. It really just felt like a rehash of the plot of season one. Like, we have to save Will from a monster, except this time he's, we know where he is. Okay. Um, and the first one felt like it was, as much as it was about these kids, like, solving the mystery of, um, you know, the, the the conspiracy and the monster and 11, it was also about growing up and it was about friendship in a difficult time. And it was about, you know, that time in your life when all of a sudden girls start to matter or vice versa, you know, we're, we're kind of waking up to that. Um, and this just didn't have that. It was just like another adventure with the Stranger Things gang. And it also it also made the same mistake that I think Guardians of the Galaxy 2 made and season five of Arrested Development made. And it's even more egregious for a show that uses Dungeons and Dragons as a template. They split the party. Is that one of the huge strengths of season one was those four kids together, you know, and their chemistry together and, and their interactions. And then they spent very little time together in this. And yeah, seeing, uh, Steve and who's the kid with the hat? Dustin. Dustin. Their chemistry was great. Their scenes were great, but it just didn't add up to anything bigger. I, I think is my my problem, and I really wish that they had just gone the anthology route and just done this all over again. Another complaint I have, because I've got a lot of them, I'm not going to go through all of them. Was that there's one thing that I think you could have done that, that would have made this this season of this show so much better. And that is, don't show us Eleven until she shows up at the buyer's house. Um, and then do the episode where we catch up on everything she's been doing since the end of season one. Instead of showing that in like season three, and then have following her on her little adventure, which didn't really go anywhere. But like, just imagine how great that show would be if like, no, Eleven, she disappeared into the upside down at the end of season one. Um and then all of a sudden there, it's episode seven or eight, and the demodogs are closing in, and and all is lost. And then who comes through the door but Eleven? But she's like, she's wearing like acid wash jeans and this black jacket, and she's got her hair slicked back like Annie Lennox, and she's wearing all this makeup. And what the fuck? That would have been – and like they really wanted that scene to play with that power 
of like, here she is. But I'm like, I just saw her last episode. Like, I know she was on her way home. I know how this timeline's adding up. This is not surprising at all. In fact, the whole time when they're in the house and, you know, and they're like, oh, no, the dogs are closing in. I'm like, 11, here comes 11. She's going to she's gonna save the, oh, who's the, oh, it's 11 at the door. I just feel like that would have made that payoff so much better and really would have made this feel like less of a, just kind of a standard sequel. Like, here's all your favorite characters doing their favorite things. Look, she's eating waffles like you like her to do. It's just, I, I, I think they could have made this a lot better. But yeah, it just felt like another adventure with the Stranger Things gang. It didn't have any of the heart or any of the feeling or any of the nostalgia of, of season one. And also, what the fuck, why were Max and Billy in this show at all? Yeah, I mean, I think there are two characters. That's my complaint. Is like, I think they both were have potential to be interesting characters. They both represent a different archetype. You have this triple past, you know, once again, shining a light into the 80s that not everything was just hunky-dory, you know, but they didn't really spend enough time or integrate them into the show in any real way, I felt. Well, yeah, and it, it just felt like, and Billy, like, on what, you know, he shows up and you're like, uh, this 80s guy. Whereas, and... But at least in season one, where when Steve showed up and you were like, "Ugh, this 80s guy, they went out of their way to dimensionalize him and to Uh give him an arc and to challenge your assumptions about that 80s guy. But Billy shows up and he's like, you know, he's a shithead. And then he's like, you know, pumping iron, smoking cigarettes and drinking beer while he listens to rat. And you're like, come on. And then it just like keeps going and like, oh, his dad's like a shitty military guy. Oh, and he beats him up. Oh, no. Oh, and then the violence goes, flows downhill. And then he's like preening in the mirror, listening to Metallica. And also, why did we wait? It's 1984. How did we go this long before we heard some kill them all in this show? It's just, and it, it, it just, he was such a stereotype and they never, they never challenged it at all. And Max, I think the actress who played her was great. And I feel like, she brought some interesting dynamics to the little gang when, when she was there, but it really felt like she was there so that the gang could explain things to the audience by explaining them to Mac or Max, you know? Yeah. yeah I think they started on a good, what you, like you said before about like a time when girls come and can like interrupt the flow of established relationships with young boys. And they started on that, but didn't really like but, commit to it. Well, and we saw that story in, in, it's true. in season one. And now, oh, now Dustin gets to have his unrequited love. Like, no, we saw that story. We saw that story when Jonathan, you know, uh, was in love with um, the girl whose name? Nancy. Nancy. When he was, we, like, we saw this. We saw the unrequited love story. Like, it's just, it just didn't do anything for me. I, I, I was really disappointed in this. I think they should have gone with an anthology and just gone with a completely new era, completely new cast, and... Uh, gone in a different direction i hear your complaints and i understand them to me i sort of felt like the analogy for this is if stranger things was alien or terminator this was aliens or terminator 2 maybe a little less subtle a little less deep a little more action plot focused and maybe that's since they're you know going for 80s movies and that kind of thing maybe it was sort of it there's definitely a lot of aliens homage in this the scene with the you know the the dots closing on them and all the military guys that was almost a little too heavy hand i'm like well this is just aliens right yeah but 
you know, other complaints I had, like the CGI was okay for the most part. There were some demi dog scenes that were like, Ugh, yeah, ugh. It a little rough. But I actually like the CGI at the end, the, the, the climax. I thought looked cool, looked good with yeah. eleven. That was cool. Um, I do think that there were some serious pacing issues. To your point about with eleven storyline, and even just like the whole pacing of the show in general, it kind of had that feel where a lot happened at the end, and maybe not a lot happened in the middle. Yeah, and they could have done some things that clean that up a little bit that I think would have made for a better show for sure. I think that barring your more extreme example of like 11 not showing up to them, which I think would have been cool. You do a little soon, a little earlier or something like that. They could have definitely paced 11's journey better. And it also didn't really make sense. Cause like, I mean, it seems like they were like, I mean, I know I, I don't, I got a lot lost in like the time frames, but like Hopper just kind of left here and was like, ah, we'll still be yeah. fine. Just like, yeah, I'll call in once. And it's like, dude, you've, I mean, you spent, you showed us the, the previous rest of the show that like you really care about her and, and she's your number one priority. Like, and there were some other things where it was like when shit really started to go down at the end and they're like, where are we going to take will where he's not going to know where he is? I'm like hopper's cabin. <laughs> and you know, where should we, where should we hide out from the demo dogs? I'm like hopper's cabin. Also hopper. Remember the psychic girl that saved the day last time. Maybe now is a good time to mention. Well, I was trying to keep this a secret, you guys, but like it just and and it, it's like that silly plot hole. And I know plot holes are things, but like all of a sudden, this is an issue of he. It's like the ballista in that episode of Game of Thrones. He forgot about Eleven because yeah. it was convenient for the plot. Yeah, definitely, I definitely agree with that. And I think that a lot of people really hated Episode Seven, which was the episode where Eleven goes off to Chicago. Yeah, fuck that episode. I actually kind of liked it. It was a little tropey. Um, I like, obviously, I like the expansion of the mythos a little bit, but I just think that they should have, they shouldn't have stopped the action where they did, and then went and showed a whole episode of like once again the pacing here, which is really yeah. poor, poorly executed. Like the whole like cliffhanger, and then wait a whole other episode to get to the next one. Is just like, just don't. I know people are binging this, and that's probably you're probably thinking about, but like, don't do that. Just well, don't. and also to show me something that I really don't care about, <laughs> like. Like, because it's just a foregone conclusion. It's like, oh, she falls in with the bad crowd, and they're going to ask her to do bad stuff, but then she's going to decide not to do bad stuff. Like, ah, yeah. come on. I know what's going to happen here. Like, they're not going to corrupt this fan favorite character and have her turn into a murderer. It's just, it'd be, it's predictable. It doesn't reveal anything about her character. It's just giving her something to do until she can show up and save the day. Which, again, I, I, I feel like that would have been, you could have just... I almost feel like you just, you edit those scenes together, all the 11 scenes, you edit them together into one episode and you put that episode after she shows up, then you, the next episode is here's what she was doing. And then you get back to the action. You should just move that later on. And then, ugh. but I think that honestly they were, and I actually feel like that was what they wanted to do. And then they recut it um, and, and, and spread her story out. Because I think that if you, if you look at a version of this show where they do it like that, the pacing gets a lot better. Um, that rev when she comes in, that becomes a lot better, but I bet you they, they were thinking, look, if we don't put 11 in an episode two, people are going to stop watching. They want to see that girl and they want to see her eat egos and, uh, that, you know, we, we, we need to pay that off. So, yeah, there was a little bit too much of the, Remember she likes Lego Egos? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing more of that. I I do think that so there, so I'll talk about some things I really liked 
Sure. I really like Bob. Really? I really like Bob. Like, I liked him as a character, but I don't know what, what he had to do with anything. No, that's what I mean. I like him as a, as a character. Like, because I was convinced for the first, like, four or five episodes, this guy's a fucking plant. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. No, convinced. they were setting him up. Yeah. And then he wasn't. He's yeah. Then, a, but, the, but he also didn't do anything, so. But he's just, like, he's just, like, a lovable, I don't know. I just, I really like this character. I just, he really, yeah. uh, he's just, like, a lovable guy who just wanted to do the right thing. And yeah. sometimes you can have that character, and that's okay. He wasn't a shithead. You know, I just, you expect it's like, when is it going to turn? You're going to find out Bob's dark secret or that he's like beating Joyce or something terrible, you know? Right, and she's like, right. No, he's just a doofy guy that got picked on in high school. He's I mean, just, he was these kids. He's just Sean Astin. Yeah, he's just Samwise, like <laughs> pretty much. Um, pretty brutal though, the, the way they, I mean, that was even for like figure things hasn't really gotten that brutal before where it's like, oh, they're just going to show these guys like the things just eating him for yeah. a minute and a half. It's like, well, they needed to, they needed to show him die because they needed to, you needed to feel good. You needed to feel good about the characters leaving him behind. Yeah. But yeah. then they tried to have a whole thing where we all mourn his death. I'm like, yeah, you guys have not earned this. No, I would agree with that. Um, you know, I liked some of the expansion of the mythos and can, I'm excited to see like the fact that that doctor's still alive. Like Paul Reiser. From the, is that the one for the first movie? No, it's just, that's the act. Oh wait, what doctor? So when Levin's in that, she's with the bad people, the punks. Yeah. And they go to kill that guy. He oh, says that the gotcha. doctor's still alive. Oh, the even Papa. Though, like, Papa's still yeah, alive. Yeah. We clearly saw him get like tackled by the Demigorgon in like the first season. So, and I don't think there'd be no reason to have that guy be lying about that. I don't yeah. think. So I don't know what's up with that. But, you know, clearly there's going to be other kids. So we're going to get some sort of X-Men team at some point. Uh, oh, I really man, did like. That's what I was saying to Karen. I was like, "How awesome would it be if Stranger Things was a stealth reboot of the X Men franchise?" <laughs> that if, like at the sweet. end of season two, like she shows up with her with her friend who, and they were clear, like that whole thing was clearly trying to make you think of like eighties X Men. That yeah. whole episode, like, um, like if you know, just Charles Xavier just wheels in <laughs> and says, "Like, I want to." I have a school I'd like to take you to and like, yeah. holy shit. Um, that's how they fixed it. Um, but no, but also, and, and uh, that man back to that episode. Um, yeah, they were, they were trying to give me the X-Men vibes, but then also there's like a, there's like a window that they kept framing the characters in front of that had graffiti on it. That's all references to the invisibles, which is a great, you know, comic book that is set in part in the eighties of like, you know, anti-establishment punk rockers. Um, but I was like, "Come on, guys! It's too obvious." And then I there's didn't this, see it. and then there's well, you haven't read The Invisible, so that's true. Uh, but like, and then there's the scene where uh, Eleven and Eight are like sitting there, and Eight is like talking to her, and right behind them is the big spiritual advisor neon sign, and I'm like, "Guys, a little on the nose with this one, a little yeah. on the nose." Yeah, there's definitely some things that are too on the nose. Um, I also really liked the like the doc the, the doctor what was his actor's yeah. name yeah paul reiser that's paul like character. he was good like he was a good complex like oh another villain another doctor on. villain yeah but like oh he's actually not really that bad of a guy like just he's been given it he's been given this project to handle and he's trying to handle it the best way he knows how and it, it's kind of be a little bit of a dick but but he's, he's the like, heirs of his ways and he's not and, like a inhuman monster and you see him like like he believes in the project and he's trying to like solve the problem. And he also cares about the kids, you know, and he's trying to like balance it. And he turned out to be, yeah, a great character and, and good work by Paul Reiser. Yeah. So, uh, I think one thing to help me with this is that I set my expectations very low for this. 
because I knew that there was no way they were going to be able to top the magic of the first season, in my opinion. I just felt that it was one of those things that it was a perfect mix of a lot of different things, even maybe some just time and place stuff. And I just felt like this is honestly like what I expected it to be because I just wasn't expecting it to take it to the next level because sequels so rarely do. Yeah. Right. And I think this is going to end up feeling like a middle chapter because I think your season three, we're going to get the final showdown with the mind flayer plus Matthew Modine's evil doctor character is going to come back and we're going to have these things kind of converge. Um, so maybe season three will redeem it, but one also has to ask the question, you know, when, when Bob's like, Hey, let's move to Maine, which I was like, yeah, do that. That's where all the creepy Stephen King shit happens. <laughs> um, but it's at this point, you're like, guys fucking move. Yeah. This, this is clearly localized. This town is possessed by like a creeping infection from another world. Just go to a different town. But, um, there were some things I did like, um, uh, like I said, I think the, the um, Steve Dustin interactions were great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that honestly, the last scene at the dance, and I know it was very emotionally manipulative with like, um, you know, the music choices and um, just, you know, f- setting something up at a, like a high, you know, like a middle school dance, like that's gonna, you're gonna hit some people right in the nostalgia testicles with that. But um, I thought that scene, because it was actually like, oh, it's the kids being kids and like dealing with, you know, dealing with that time in their lives and like, you know, Dustin and he's going to the dance and he thinks he's, you know, he's so confident and he's, you know, he, you know, he thinks this is going to be such a turning point for him. And it's such a let and like, I'm like, yeah, buddy. Yeah. Used to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, I was like, yes, that is. Uh, yes, I have, I've had that. I have been, yes, I was you. Um, <laughs> like, so, but I also thought that the scene was very well done. And like, you know, Eleven's going to show up and you're waiting for it. Yeah. Um, and it, that I, felt very earned. I really liked that scene. And I also just visually, um, there were certain, some very standout, um, it was very beautifully shot in some places. I'm thinking especially of the scenes where, uh, again, Steve and Dustin are on the railroad tracks. It's just beautifully photographed and like heartbreakingly beautiful. And just some of the shots of like Dustin's neighborhood. I know this is like weird to call out, but like, they're just like where like, you're like where it really does transport you to as somebody who, you know, remembers parts of the eighties. Like you're like, Holy shit. Like I'm there. Like that's, I remember that's the way trees looked then. (laughs) Or like, that's (laughs) the way, that's the way sunlight looked. Um, and they get that right a couple times. Uh, and it really, really works. So I feel like, yeah, some of that stuff was really good. To your point earlier, one thing that I agree with, I felt like this show, this season was more about the adults. Like, I mean, are like the older kids and adults. I just felt like the younger kids, which were the heart of the first season, weren't as prevalent. And I think yeah. that's what stands out the most. And I think splitting the party was okay for a time, but it went on too long and they split it again and again. And, you know, that's hard, part of how you mix up the stuff is you, you, you know, like I said, you mix up the, the pairings a little bit, but they just kept them apart for too long. And a lot of them just didn't have anything to do. Even Mike had nothing to do this whole time. Oh yeah. He was barely even in the show. He's barely in the show. Yeah, exactly. And so that felt like, and the scenes where he's like missing 11 and trying to like, those are heartbreaking scenes. We should have yeah. seen more of those. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then Jonathan and Nancy's little subplot, that was a waste of time. Like, yay, justice for Barb. But like, yeah. seriously, we spent like two hours on that. Yeah. It was too long. Although though, my friend pointed out the one line that I didn't even pick up on when he says, uh, how was the pull out? Oh, gross. <laughs> gross. Some, some good writing there. Um, but 
couple points about the story because I know sure. that these guys have said that like when they first made the first season, they had this big book of like the mythos, you know, the stuff they're setting up, which is stuff that you know I may or may not be interested in. <laughs> and something that saw and like put, saw point on the internet that like I I thought it was interesting that when the mind flare was pulled out of uh, Will's body, that he went up into space. I must have I must not have been looking at the screen. Like it like swirled around and then like shot out like a shooting star into space. And I, I don't know if it was just like they didn't know what else to do with it. But like you would have thought it were like going back underground or something. Yeah. But the fact that it shot into space, I was like, mm, space, huh? And then also the fact that I didn't notice this, but it was pointed out later. And there's pictures that when they shoot the shots of the upside down, it's like from the past. Like the cars are clearly cars from like the 50s. Huh. Interesting. So I'm curious to see like. What, and I'm, I'm obviously also curious. I mean, obviously, it has something to do with the kids, but like, and the fact that there's other portals, I, other openings to the upside down. But uh, I am curious to see what, where the plot goes. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, 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 I resign myself to that. Maybe this show will be more plot oriented moving forward than than it was than the first season was. So good in so many ways, and that just might have to be what it is for now. Well, unfortunately, yeah. hopefully not. But I'm All sorry right. you didn't like it, Greg. That's okay. That's okay. I liked it enough to keep seeing where it went. Fair enough. Um, so, yeah, I think that about wraps it up for us. Uh, you got any recommendations for this week? Uh, I'm going to, based on our discussions about superheroes, I'm going to re-recommend something that I recommended from our first episode. I'm going to re-recommend Worm, which is the online serial that you can find collected different places by Wildbow is the author's pen name. I think it's definitely been confirmed there's going to be a sequel written. It's really long like the length of all of a song of ice and fire so far, Oof. but you don't have to read it that way. Cause it's written in a comic arcy sort of way where each arc is subdivided and you could read an arc and be like, ah, oh, that was really cool. I'll come back to this in a month or two and read another arc. And mm-hmm. it kind of, even though it, it is the answer to all of our problems with current comic fiction, <laughs> that's why I want to recommend it again, because it is still really awesome. Well, I sadly don't have uh, uh, too many terribly good recommendations this week, just because I have been um, I have been trying to move, <laughs> so I uh, haven't had a ton of time to do anything much more than watch Stranger Things and and get my house packed up. But um, I guess because you know we did you know I had I finished the first Law trilogy by Joe Abercrombie, and I can I can wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, it is a uh, it is really good fantasy. Um, that, um, works, it really works. And the twist at the end is very, very much worth it and has some excellent characters that are just a blast to read. Um, Inquisitor Glockta is a standout. Um, and the plot, uh, the plot goes in, you know, directions that you do not think it's going to go. There are surprises all over the place and, um, a great deconstruction of fantasy and a, it's written in a way that, you know, is very, very tight in with the characters, which is a, um, a style of writing. You don't see a lot in fantasy. Um, and, uh, I, I recommend it a lot. The first law trilogy by Joe Abercrombie. You liked the last book then? I did. You like the conclusion and everything? Yes. We'll spoil I, it here, but yes, I did. Let's talk about that offline. Then I don't want to give too many spoilers. That's a, that's a fun one, but yeah. just, just to let you know, Greg, in case you're interested in some of your long driving, I know you got other things on the bucket. There's three standalones. Tell us last I know, time. I know, and they get progressively better. Yes, but I just want to give you the like the the flavor of each one. Best served cold is basically a Quentin Tarantino movie. 
Heroes is uh, Gettysburg, but but in you know the, the movie Gettysburg, but in fantasy. Great. And the third one is basically a Western. So <laughs> they all have a different kind of flavor and theme than where First Law being the more standard fantasy trilogy, right? Yeah. So, but. All right. Yeah. I'll probably go back to that well. All right, Guy. Well, I think that does it for us this week. Um, maybe we'll get a chance to see Justice League before the holiday and maybe have something to say about it. Uh, uh, maybe not. No promises. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, I guess uh, have a good week. You too.